Thank you again, Kellen. Thank you again, team. Uh, we have been truly blessed by your sharing and your gifts this morning. Can we just thank them again and praise our God? This is for God and his gifts and his glory and his honor. And we are so grateful. Um, it, it, after a holy moment like that, I feel like now is where we need the silence because I'm about to jump in um, to the message here. Um, and it's going to feel a bit abrupt, but... Um, here we go anyways. Welcome to October, the scariest month of all, right? Uh, well, aside from April, that's definitely the scariest month of all. Some of you know what I'm talking about, but October is a very scary month. I, who here likes horror movies? Let me just, let's start with this. Who here would say, I will not be, you will not be shamed, you will not be, all right, we do have some horror movie fans in the house here. Uh, we will pray for your souls. No, um, Netflix thinks I'm super into horror movies. As soon as it hit October, it's like recommended for you. Watch these awful, horrible films about people being massacred and dying and murdered and all this stuff. I'm like, where did this come from? Because, well, here's where it comes from actually. Uh, Robin and I, every year, mostly me, every year it hits October and I say to her, this is the year, Robin. This is the year, we're going all in on horror movies. I'm gonna watch scary, scary stuff. And I'll watch like the first five minutes of The Walking Dead and be like, no, I'm out, zombie babies, done. Like, and, like, and I'll never turn it on. And then I'll be like, all right, I'll watch something like, you know, really kitschy, you know? So I'll put on like one of the Halloween movies. Again, five minutes in, nope, never mind. I'm out, I'm tapping out. That is too intense for me. I, the, the, the scariest I get, I, I'm not kidding, the scariest I get every October is the annual Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. Is anybody else like that? That's the only thing I watch every year that has anything to do with Halloween. I can't handle any. What is it about horror movies that some of you people like? No, really, after the service, I wanna know what you get out of these horror movies. I am no student of horror movies, but this is, my, this is my thought. This is my, my, my insight as I thought about it this week. I think actually we kind of like these horror movies because at the heart of them, uh, they're not just about being scared, they're cautionary tales. Cautionary tales. So yes, sometimes the cautionary tale is don't go in the basement where Jason is with an ax. Like sometimes like, it's very obvious, but I'm told that if you actually study this genre of movie, you can actually say there's, there's always a cautionary tale. There's always a learning to be involved. And the consequences, if you don't heed those learnings and that warning. So we do like, there's something in us that resonates with cautionary tales. Parents are actually always telling kind of scary stories to their kids. And I wanna have the most gracious position possible on this. I think when we tell our kids scary stories, we're trying to give them a cautionary tale, right? Ultimately, we want them to be a better human being by hearing a cautionary tale. Who here is Dutch, by the way? Who here is Dutch? Any other Dutch folk? Well, I shouldn't say others. I'm not Dutch. I married a Dutch girl. And when I married this Dutch girl, I was introduced to a scary Christmas story. Talk about messing up the, the, the Christmas story. Leave it to the Dutch. They are obsessed with this thing called Sinterklaas and Svartepeet. Have you heard about this? I, I encourage you to learn the story of Sinterklaas and Svartepeet because here's the story. Every child in the Netherlands grows up being told, hey kids, guess what? Sinterklaas is always watching you. And if you're really good for a whole year, 
I mean, for the whole year, if you do nothing bad, you're gonna get an orange. I'm not making that up, by the way. Times were different back in the day. I mean, back in the day, it was really rough. If you are good and do nothing wrong for the whole year, you get an orange. How about that, kids? And if you're bad, somebody's gonna come into your house, he's going to throw you into a sack, he's gonna take you to Spain, and he's gonna make you a slave for the next year of your life. What kind of a parent tells that to their kid anyways? Well, again, trying to have a gracious view of this, the kind of parent that really does want their child actually to grow up to be good, to be obedient, to be well-behaved, to become a contributing citizen, to become a good member of the family, to become a good member of the church. So we're all aiming towards that. I'm about to read you what maybe people may have called Jesus's scary stewardship story. And it is, it's kind of a scary story I'm about to read to you. But don't get hung up on that because it's actually a cautionary tale. It's a cautionary tale from Jesus to us saying, there's actually some things in life and some decisions that you make that if you're not aware of them, there could be very dire, very bad consequences. So out of love, out of grace, I'm gonna tell you a cautionary tale. Now, here's the interesting thing about this cautionary tale. Yes, it is going to be about stewardship. Yes, it is going to be about money. Um, but this also lands in the middle of Jesus talking about things that are yet to come. He's pointing his followers to realities of things that are about to unfold when he goes away and then promises to return. So in pointing his followers to things yet to come, he told them this amongst um, several other stories. But Matthew chapter 25, we're gonna start in verse 14 here. And uh, thank you. Oh, I love this new thing and I love that I'm figuring it out. So again, when Jesus comes back, goes away and when he comes back, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags and to another one bag each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Now, I always hate to interrupt the reading of the word of God, but don't, don't miss what just happened there. You've been faithful with a few things. He's just got five bags of gold, remember? You've been entrusted with a few things. In the master's opinion, that, that's just a drop in the bucket. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, 
Now I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I, I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus' scary story about stewardship. How appropriate for October. Let's recap that story just briefly. So this guy who has so much at his disposal, who looking ahead into the story in the perspective of the amount of wealth would consider five bags of gold a few things. Now, let's just put this in context before we go any deeper into unpacking this. Yes, this you've probably heard as the parable of the talents, a talent. Well, here's what we know about ancient times and money. Not too different, actually, than money now. Isn't it remarkable how that story just seems like it could have been written in many ways just, just yesterday? A talent was originally a unit of measure, 75 pounds. Then it became a unit of measuring money, but it was a direct correlation. A measure of uning a unit, a measure, <laughs> a unit of measuring a bag of literal gold, gold coins or perhaps silver coins. How much do you think a bag weighing 75 pounds of gold was worth back in the day? A whole lot. Let's just say a million bucks, maybe even more. A bag of gold, about a million bucks, and the master considers five bags of gold a few things. Okay, so this master who has so much at his disposal says, I'm going to go away. And I'm not going to tell you how long I'm going to go away for, but I have an idea. Instead of all my wealth just sitting around collecting dust, I'm going to give it to my friends. I'm going to give it to my servants. I'm going to have people who are in my household here. And so to one, he says, here, take five bags of gold. Go do something with it. To another, take two bags of gold. Go do something with it. To another, take another bag of gold and, and, and go, go do something with it. And then he does and he goes away. And in some appointed period of time, he comes back. And then because it all belongs to the master, he wants to take account for it. And so he calls the servants to him. And what does he say when he hears from the servant who had five bags and made five bags more? What does he say to him? Remember, you have been entrusted with a few things. I still can't get over that. Entrusted with just a few things. But he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Now share in your master's what? Remember the word in there? Share in your master's happiness. Share in your master's joy. Share in now your master's celebration. The same thing happens with the second guy. Share in your master's happiness, his joy. Share in this celebration of what is about to unfold. And then he gets to this other guy. And what does this other guy say? I knew you were harsh. I knew you 
you, you, you reap where you haven't sown and you gather where you haven't even worked. Now, pause just long enough to consider, is that the case? Where does this come from? If you were to describe the master thus far in the story, how would you describe this master? You would describe him as incredibly wealthy, incredibly generous, and remarkably eager to celebrate and rejoice with his faithful servants. That's the thing about this story. That's the cautionary tale aspect of all this. Let's not miss the mark of this story that we have a master who is wealthy beyond measure, who is generous to a fault, and is so eager to celebrate and to rejoice with all who serve him. And yet there are some who are going to say of him, I know you're so harsh. I know you're so cruel. I know that's the big lie. Did you ever catch that before? That's the big lie. Well, the master just does something that we'd probably all do in that similar situation. Well, okay, if I'm so awful, I guess I'll just judge you by the standards you just heaped upon me. I guess I'll be harsh. <laughs> I guess I will be the guy you thought I really was. It's a cautionary tale. The big lie about this is that our God is harsh and cruel and eager to judge and wants to throw us off into the darkness. The big truth of this is that our God is generous and wealthy, uh, generous to a fault and, and so eager to rejoice. And the big reveal of this though, the big reveal that Jesus needs to drive home for us is that we might never forget, God is the owner. We are the stewards and the reality of the universe, the reality of human existence. And let me just pause long enough to say this. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, then you will be held accountable for the things that have been entrusted to you. And that can be a scary tale, or that can be an incredibly encouraging and inspiring motivation to know that what we do actually matters. Now, again, if you're not a Christ follower, I think everything I'm about to say is remarkably applicable to going to be the management of your life and the management of your money. But if you're here and you're like, yep, I'm all in on the Jesus plan. I love him. He's my savior. He's my Lord. I want to be a follower of Jesus. Well, then we do need to hear these words as direct instructions from our master to us on how we will be held accountable for our stewardship. Now, what is stewardship? We've been talking about that actually the last five weeks. But we've been talking that primarily in the realm of creation care. And that really covers everything. So what we're about to talk about today is actually more of a microscopic or just a narrowing view. Let us not forget that in the big scope of things, all of creation, all of the universe, all of the earth, and all that there is in it belongs ultimately to our God. But we, as the image bearers, men and women bearing his likeness, have been tasked with stewardship. We never forget that it belongs to God, but we have been given the rule, the responsibility to manage, to work, to care, to guard. We talked about all of those words. And I just want to remind us of this. Yes, it's a job, but it's also to be a joy. We talked a bit about that when we got into the creation mandate or this, this cultivation, this, this uh, cultural mandate. Yes, it's a job. 
It's a pre-fall job to work for and to steward the gifts of God. But it's also to be a joy. And that's what I actually love about the story that Jesus tells, that ultimately it's to bring rejoicing. Rejoicing to the master, rejoicing to the kingdom, and rejoicing and a sharing in the happiness that we have with God. And so we take very seriously this job, yes, but we also take joy in it. We take joy in the job of stewarding God's gifts. So now microscopically, what is it that we are going to be held accountable as stewards? What this story actually teaches us is that it is everything that has been entrusted to us. There's actually sort of like a specific vagueness to the way Jesus tells this parable. I know that's weird. It almost seems contradictory, but Jesus does this often in his teachings. He gives kind of a specific vagueness. Hey, Jesus, I really have a problem with my brother and I know I'm supposed to forgive him, but I should probably forgive him like seven times, right? And he's like, ah, how about seven times 70? Well, seven times seven, you know, 144 carries a zero. A hundred times? No, more, you know, I mean, there's like a specific vagueness to it. How much should you forgive your brother? Indefinitely, all the time. You should just always have a forgiving stance towards people. You need that and the people around you need that. So there's kind of a specific vagueness to this. How much has God entrusted to us? A million, billion, trillion dollars, bags of gold. You know, so there's a specific vagueness to God is giving us bags of gold. God is giving us talent. God is entrusting things to us. So here's the simple reality. Here's, here's the fact. Everything that you have that God has given to you that matters, that you would say has been entrusted to you, he's going to ask you about someday. He's going to ask you about some things that you've been entrusted with someday. And we don't know when that day is going to come. So we should just get on with the business daily of caring for those things that he's entrusted to us. So let's just spend a little bit of time thinking about what has God entrusted to us? What has God entrusted to you? Maybe one of the first things we'd realize is God has entrusted to us a certain amount of time and we don't know how much we have. So what are we doing with the time that God has given us? First and foremost, I'd like to say this on the heels of my sabbatical and the message that I preached leading into that. Um, manage your time well. I mean, get eight hours of sleep by the way, like, like there's a good management right now. I mean, it still just pains me as a pastor to know that one of the most common responses to how would you describe your life, people will say tired, people are constantly tired. So I'm just gonna say right now, if you are constantly tired, you might be in a circumstance where you are working too hard and hopefully that season would end right now for you. But oh my goodness, you, who wants to go through life and just to say, I am constantly tired, oh. Please steward your body and get eight hours of good sleep or more a night. Please steward your time and work well and work hard and work diligently as unto the Lord. That's one of the teachings of the Apostle Paul to all followers of Jesus. Everything that you do, just see it through this lens. I'm doing this for Jesus. Your boss asks you something to do. You don't like your boss. That's all right. Think about, no, I'm... I'm gonna do this actually for, for Jesus. I'm gonna do this for Jesus and see how that goes. 
I read on time management this week, and across sort of all spectrums there, all demographics, uh, the average, this is just the average. The average person, apart from the work that their screen probably requires them to do, is spending three hours on their phone every day. Actually, it's not even on their phone. It's on the screen in front of them because very rarely are we talking or engaging with another person on that device. Three hours. Now, some of you are like, I already spent three hours today on my phone. That's like nothing. And some of you, maybe it's not an issue, but that's a lot of time. I'm just gonna say, hopefully not like the judgy pastor, like, like uh, that's, that's, a, that's too much time. <laughs> I, I mean, take an hour every day and practice an instrument so you can join the band because, man, that, that, was, that was amazing. Like, thank you for not just hanging out on your phone all the time and learning to share a gift that you can share with us. That's incredible. You know, take some time and go for a walk with your dog or your spouse and, and say a prayer. You know, you take, take, take an hour and cook a real meal and, and, and share it with somebody. Just, you can do so much with your time. It just, it just saddens me that the more developed, the more technological, the more advanced we become, we seem to be getting worse and worse, actually, with our time management. There was a time 100 years ago when people are like, we're going to have so much leisure time, we're not even going to know what to do with it anymore. Does anybody right now have too much leisure time? I'm not raising my hand. I, 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 we're just horrible stewards of our time. And again, I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm, so, I'm saying that to just observe. We need to bring God into our time management. Because I think he's going to ask us about it someday. Well, what are other things that we do with our time and we steward? Well, we're, this all is certainly indicative of how we steward our, our body. I mean, some of us, whenever we go to eat a meal and we say grace, we might say, God, bless this wonderfully healthy meal that I'm about to eat. It's well-balanced. I know that. There's nothing fried in here. There's not too many added sugars. So I'm very confident that you've already blessed this food and it's gonna just be awesome for my body. I would say that most of us, though, when we are blessing our food, we are literally asking for a miracle. Like, God, somehow make this awful stuff I'm about to put in my body miraculously transform into good. <laughs> I mean, so, come, come, I'm just saying, yeah, you can ask God to bless your food, but you can also use your brains <laughs> and eat healthy food instead of junk food, drink some more water, Eat some more roughage. I, don't, I, I mean, I, I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not a dietitian, but I just know like God gave you a body. Put good, get good rest, put good stuff in it, exercise. One of the greatest joys I have and how I try to manage my time is I get to ride my bike to work. I know I talk about it way too much, but honestly, no matter what happens, I got a great like 45 minute bike into the church and a 45 minute ride home. It's just beautiful. I'm out getting fresh air, I'm getting exercise, I'm laughing at people that are stuck in traffic jams. I mean, I'm having a hoot. I mean, I'm listening to a podcast or worship music because I'm on the path. I mean, take care of your bodies, people. God gave you the body and he's blessed the body. Christ became incarnate in the body. Christ's body rose from the grave. Christ now seats, is seated at the right hand of God in heaven and he still has a body and he's coming. I mean, I mean it's, it's really, it's like this. The Christian in many ways can't say enough good stuff about the body because God is honored and blessed and will resurrect these bodies. So let's be good stewards of these bodies. 
How about we become good stewards of the other bodies around us? Our relationships. A lot of us, we're going to think about things that have been entrusted to us. Yeah, we're entrusted with time. We're entrusted with these bodies. We're entrusted with certain skills and abilities we want to nurture in them. Uh, we've been entrusted with the bodies of other people very much around us. If, if you are married here, um, you need to think seriously about how you are stewarding your marriage. How are you investing in your marriage? What are the things you're saying? What are the things maybe you're not saying? What are the things you're doing or, or not doing? How are you investing in that marriage so that one day God might say of the way that you stewarded your relationship with your spouse, well done, good and faithful servant. You really honored that person and blessed them by your stewardship of them. How about our kids? Are we stewarding our kids? I'm a, yeah, that one, immediately I'm like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I got, that one feels heavy as soon as I say it. As the father of three, even though they're grown up and gone, I gotta say, I do not feel any less stewardship responsibility for my kids. I'm guessing apparently that will never end for all of us, just what we feel. But what a, I mean, if you, if you, if, I mean, it's, it's kind of parenting is kind of crazy, you know, and you like, you become a parent and maybe specifically for, you know, newer, younger parents here. It's like, all right, how much am I going to get paid to do this job being, being a parent? And it's like, get paid. Oh no, my goodness. You're going to never sleep again and put out thousands of dollars constantly. You're like, what? And like, and you know what? You're going to count it a joy. You're going to count it a joy. At every turn, well, maybe not every turn. You're going to count it a joy in the big picture of things because you're stewarding the lives of those kids that have been entrusted to you. How about stewarding the bodies, the lives, the people around you, your neighbors? Because, yeah, Jesus said some real stuff about love God, and this is really how you're going to show your love to God. Yes, worship. Yes, giving. Yes, serving. But love your neighbors. Love your neighbors. I know that's hard. I know that's hard. So maybe we just need to take a season and insert steward our neighbors. How am I stewarding my neighbor relationships? How am I stewarding this relationship I have with my boss? How am I stewarding this relationship with my employees and my coworkers, my literal neighbors that are next to me and around me in my community? How am I stewarding these relationships? So... We know that stewarding really is giving account for everything, going right back to the story that Jesus told, everything that Jesus ultimately entrusted to us. But before we get on to the money stuff, let's not forget that God is rich beyond measure, bags of gold are just a few things to our Lord that he is entrusting to us because he trusts us. And the things that he's entrusting to us are precious in his sight, so precious he wants to hear about how it's been handled, how it's been managed. Don't forget, before we get on to the next stuff, what God is saying is, yes, the money matters, but your time matters. The gifts I've given you matter. The people in your life matter. They matter so much, I want to ask you about it. And of course, we got to turn the corner and we got to talk about the money thing. 
I think about that scene in the upcoming Christmas movie, uh, uh, Elf, you know, where the guy's coming in, he's going to, you know, consult the people. And there's that, that scene right at the beginning. He's like, let's do the money thing. You know, it's like, you know, everybody wants to like get the money thing done with. There's this sense of like, like it's kind of dirty. Like, ah, just, let's just get this money business handled and then let's get on to this stuff. Well, uh, we're not just going to get the money business done and over with and get on to this stuff because the reality is the money is the stuff. The money is this, the money, it does matter. No, I don't, like, I don't get jazzed and energized about talking about money. No, no pastor I know actually is like, I gotta give a stewardship sermon and I'm so excited about it. We all like commiserate, like, ah, we gotta talk about, we gotta talk about the money. Um, but this is what we all know. We have to talk about the money because money does matter. And I know you're gonna talk about money when you leave here. I know you're gonna fight about money when you leave here. I know you're gonna work for money tomorrow when you wake up. I know you're gonna open up your bank app maybe more than any other app on your phone. I know money matters and every pastor worth his weight also knows money's a spiritual matter too. We would be foolish, we would be negligent, we, we would not be heeding the caution of Jesus right now if we didn't recognize that he was telling us what we all intuitively know. There are spiritual implications about money in your life. Some of you are going to go so far as to worship money. That would be like the worst thing of all. You are going to put all of your value, all of your energy, all of your time, all of your efforts, all of your life, all of your hope into this stuff called money. And that's like the biggest caution Jesus gives. And, and for some of us over here, like that servant there, it's like, I'm gonna try and not think about money at all. <laughs> I'm gonna bury it and think that it's dirty and that there aren't spiritual implications to it and that they'll never be accountable. But Je Jesus, the cautionary tale in many ways is saying, no, no, we, it's, it's, it's not everything, but it's not nothing. So let's talk about it. So here, here, here's what we're gonna talk about. Here's what we're gonna talk about for the money. Um, here's the good news. I'm gonna do the good news and then kind of the reality of it. Here, the good news is God owns anything and God does not lack for anything. God owns everything and God does not lack for anything. Uh, people talk about a lot now, or, or at least I hear this talk a lot now when people talk about money is they'll want you to assess your relationship with money. And they'll say, do you come from an abundance or a scarcity mindset? And maybe they aren't all talking about that, but that has always stuck with me when I heard people say that because I was immediately convicted. If you are here with a friend or a spouse, a neighbor, somebody, uh, you go and you, you just think about, think about what you are. Do you have a scarcity mentality or an abundance mentality? And then ask the person next to you, what are you really? So, because I know what my wife would say about me. You have a scarcity mentality about money, George. You, you have a, you, you, you worry that there's never gonna be enough at the end of the day. <laughs> money is supposed to be in the bank, in savings for that rainy day, and you don't know when that rainy day is coming, and you have a very scarce mentality around money, George. And maybe, maybe most of us, I don't know why I do, to be honest. I don't know why I have such a scarcity mentality about money. You'd think I grew up during the Great Depression or grew up in abject poverty, but the reality is, is the only time I've ever slept without a roof over my head is when I've gone camping, 
which I love to do for some reason. I don't know why. The only time I've ever been hungry is when I've been fasting. God has always provided. Now, not everybody's had that situation, certainly. I'm guessing most of us have if we're here today and came here in a car and have a job. And I'm guessing most of us, if we really assessed our life and the big picture of things, God's been pretty abundant in our lives. God's come through. Maybe we didn't manage it well, but by nature of sitting here, God's come through pretty abundantly for most of us. So we should have a very faithful, a very trusting <laughs> mindset toward God. And, and God just loves this metaphor. He loves to use this. I mean, how many times over and over in the scriptures, God who is rich in mercy, God who is rich in grace, God who is rich in kindness, God out of his glorious uh, riches will strengthen you with every spiritual. I mean, I mean, God just loves this rich, this wealthy, this abundant mindset when it comes to his gifts for us. First and foremost, the gifts of God's grace. Grace comes in abundance, but also his love, his kindness, and his provision in our lives. So God is the owner. <laughs> he owns everything. And God is not lacking anything. But then here, here's this, the reality that we're going to drive home now. Because we will be held account, we need to be good stewards toward of what God has entrusted to us. But here's what I really want to push you towards now here is we, we don't want to just be good stewards of what God has given to us. We want to we be equally as generous. God will never reach that. We want to strive to be some measure of the generosity that God has shown towards us, towards God and towards others. Because our God has been so, so generous. So here's the reality. Every, every, every good steward is going to need a plan, is going to need a budget, is going to need to think ahead about how to be generous. <clears throat> I don't know anybody who says, I don't want to be generous, so I'm just gonna make that leap right now. Somewhere in your heart, you know, at the end of the day, or whenever people are, you know, talking about me after I'm died, I hope they're not saying I was Scrooge McDuck, I was stingy, <laughs> I was a tightwad, I always had a scarce mentality. I hope they will say I was generous with my love, I was generous with my time, I was generous with my affections, I was generous with what was entrusted to me towards those I loved around me. So we want to be generous, but we don't just land at generosity without a plan. So here's the push, and I know this makes sense. I know this is good because I stole it from online. Every good follower of Jesus needs to have a determined, decided, and dedicated plan for giving to God. So here's the point. Here's what we're going to take away then. If you forget everything else I said up to this point about the cautionary tale, um, we need to just have a, dead, a determined, uh, directed, decided, sorry, a determined, decided, and dedicated plan towards God. This really made sense when I read it. We've been talking about the dedication part, actually. Everything belongs to God. We are stewards of it. So we just have to decide in our hearts that everything belongs to God. And that is the dedicated, determined part of it. But then we need to decide what we're going to do with it. And, and it comes from this verse. Uh, can you get it up here on screen here? Uh, so I can... Uh, there... Uh, da, da, da. No, that's not it. I'll read it for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap. Anybody know? Yeah, yeah, sparingly. 
and whoever sows generously will also reap. Yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty, you know, just, just, some, just some wisdom there, just a proverb there, just some wisdom. But I like it says, remember this, remember whoever sows sparingly or reaps sparingly, whoever sows generously is going to reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. So real quick recap, back in the day, it wasn't something you sort of decided in your heart, it was decided for you. It was decided for you that you would give the first fruits of all that came. That's how the people of God lived in the first testament. You gave the first fruits. It was an act of trust, it was an act of faith. You didn't know how much was coming after, which is kind of scary, but you gave the first portion, the 10%, the tithe. You gave of the first fruits. But it didn't just end there. Then you gave offerings for all the celebrations of God, and then you gave what would become called later alms for the poor, which is a pretty good paradigm for giving right there. You know, give to the church and the function that have to happen. Uh, give for parties and celebrations. We're having one today. Your giving is allowing us to have this celebration for the community. And then give to help poor people. That's pretty much the church has never strayed from that. That's what we give towards those three big categories. But now we're to give what we decide in our heart because giving is going to be incredibly personal. It was back then and it is now. Jesus says one of the most generous acts he ever saw was giving two coins. Two pittance, you know, the smallest, tiniest little coin that existed back in the day when he saw a widow give that much. He said, that was the most generous act I ever saw. So we just need to embrace and understand that somebody giving $100 to the church could be an extraordinarily generous act. And somebody writing a check for $100,000 could be a drop in the bucket for them. That's just the reality of our society. That's a whole other topic to deal with and all that. But for some of us, a hundred bucks is extraordinarily generous. And if you decide in your heart that is what generosity means for you, praise be to God. But some of you, if you decide in your heart a hundred thousand is just a drop in the bucket, well, let's talk after the service then. So, so we need to have this kind of dedicated to God mindset. We decide in our heart and, uh, uh, and, and then, we, then we finally, it needs to be fully dedicated to, to God. I keep messing up the D thing. We, it's determined that God owns it. We decide how much we're going to give. All right, th yeah, that's right. This is what he said. Then you, then you dedicate it to God. Because once you give it to God, something interesting happens here. Here is the dynamic. I care for my home because I bought my home. I take care of my cars because I bought my cars. I take care of my bikes because I love my bikes, and bikes are awesome, and I own, own my bikes. Whenever we give to something, something in our dedication changes. So whenever we give to the church, we find ourselves caring about the church. We find ourselves praying about the church. We find ourselves serving in the church. So I've just seen this dynamic happen over and over and over again, that the people who are most generous towards God, most generous towards the church, are also the people that I know are praying the hardest for the work of the church and the work of the gospel in the community. They're the people who are most involved. It, it just strikes me. And so I'm just going to say this, and then we're going to move on to the closer right here. Here's what strikes me. As I walked around this morning, getting ready for the service, seeing people set up, I could base it, and, and I'm, I'm not going to name names or anything, but it was amazing to me. And I don't know all the things I'm giving. I should say that. So we have like a healthy kind of wall between like the pastor, 
and giving so that I don't like treat anybody differently and, and stuff, but I'm also not an idiot. So there you go. Um, <laughs> but I'm walking around, I'm like, wow, everybody who's serving, they're also the most generous people to the church. And they're the people who are praying the hardest for the church because they're just that kind of person. They're just those kind of stewards. And I really think we would all just readily admit, and that's the person I wanna be if I'm a follower of Jesus. So I need, Kellen, I need you to come up here and to help me drive this home. And let me just say this before I tell one last story. Uh, if, if you're already giving, great, thank you, praise you, bless you, um, fantastic. Please keep, keep going on that, uh, on that direction. Uh, if you are not giving and all of a sudden you are inspired to whip out your checkbook or to open your app or whatever, great, we can help you. We can talk to you about a, a, a determined and decided and dedicated plan to be generous towards God who's been so generous to us. And we'll help you with that. And, and, and here's what I just wanna say, and I have to say it very briefly. If you've never done that before, we recognize that can be a hard step. That can be a difficult step. But I promise you there are people in, sitting in this room who made a living and a career out of managing money. And if I can't help you, I'm just going to point you to them. <laughs> so you know who you are that I'm talking about. I'm just gonna say, I know a couple of people who are really good and they will help you. And they will walk with you through becoming a generous person. And maybe that means like, I need to be on a budget. I don't know where my money's going or why it's going or how it's going. And I know these folks will be able to say, let's just talk about how to manage your money and then be generous towards God with what he has given to you. Make sense? Awesome. So we're going to do that, and that's going to be great. Now, here's the, here, let, let me end with this uh, before I say a prayer and we worship a little bit because, oh, I, I was supposed to go short today, and I, I just ended up going long. <laughs> um, I never preached on this story in the last four years. Four years ago, by the way, fall of 2018, we became Connections Church. And very early on in the journey of becoming Connections Church and becoming a part of what God was doing here, um, I very, and I, and again, I hope when I say these things, the, you know, these don't, aren't just kind of dismissed because uh, I'm going to say this quite intentionally. I remember one moment very, very profoundly struck walking around this property as the roof was being repaired, as the windows were being redone, as new carpeting was being put in, uh, as we were praying about what would happen here. Um, I very, very much, and I'm going to say this word intentionally from where I started, I was haunted by this passage. See what I did there? Scary stories, haunted by this. I'm trying to tie it all in here, people. Uh, because I just kept thinking about the value of this property, the value of this building, what God has given us here in this parable because it actually correlates in some interesting ways. And I thought, are we gonna hear well done, good and faithful servant with what we did as Connections Church? Now, when I think about what I've seen today, when I think about guests coming and sharing their gifts already, when I think about watching so many of you work so hard to prepare to receive our community and love this afternoon, when I think about 200, and we have like 200 people registered for pumpkins. For some reason, people love free pumpkins. I don't know, if you can come up with any good outreach ideas, please let me know. People are so jazzed about pumpkins. Um, let me know. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I know this, I know this already. 
I'm gonna walk away from today some point after two o'clock after everything is cleaned up and put away and I'm tired and I'm, I'm eager to go home and, and walk my dog or something. I'm gonna have a great sense and you know, it's gonna be. I think Jesus is saying, well done. Well done today, connections. You were good and faithful with what I entrusted to you. But I gotta be honest, some days I wonder. Some days I do as a pastor of this church, just one of the pastors, of course, I, I, I go home and I'm like, I, I don't know if I'm hearing well done for, for, for what happened or what isn't happening or what I hope to happen. But what I hope is at the end, whenever that comes, that we as a church community are gonna hear well done, good and faithful stewards gave you that church, I gave you that opportunity, I gave you that time, I gave you that, those open doors, I gave you those opportunities to share my gospel, to share my love, to share me, and you didn't bury it, you let it multiply and grow. So let me just say a prayer, and let's pray that for all of us in our own lives as individuals, in our own marriages, in our own parenting, in our own work and all that, but also as the church, as Connections Church, that we're going to hear well done, good and faithful servant. Let me say a prayer and then we gotta worship and then we gotta get ready for a party. Heavenly Father.